morning. I'm Daniel, but one of the other pastors here, Shaizron, and um, we are just uh, going to continue our sermon series uh, from the letter of Peter, First Peter, and this is um, the second one, the second, we continue what Ron started last week, and um, he just gave us the context of this letter, uh, talked about Peter being in Rome, possibly in Rome, writing to people that lived in today's Turkey. So he writes a letter to encourage them, to support them, to teach them. And we are going to continue in verse 3 from the first chapter of Peter. Before we do that, I just want you to imagine that you walk outside and you go towards your mailbox and you pick up a stash of uh, mail from there and you, you know, on your driveway you keep looking through it. And you see, you know, you basically look for letters that are unusual, that you don't know who they are from. And usually you don't like bills, right? So you skip bills and anything else besides bills, right? So maybe you get to a letter that has some stamps or, and it's unusual. It, it's a stem from Europe, right? And then you, you, you say, what, what's, what's in it? And you have maybe less patience than I, so then you just tear up and then you uh, open the letter and say, what, what is inside? You know, so as you do it, you look inside, and everything looks nice. They, uh, they tell you that one of your distant relatives in Europe died and left you a huge inheritance, right? And then you look carefully, and what's the first thought that you think? You know, you say, is this for real? And then you look down, and they have a website. They have a website. They even have a logo. They have a phone number, and they tell you at the end that next week we are going to contact you, and uh, you will have to sign some papers because it's a huge amount of uh, money that they, they left to you. Now, I'm not sure what you will think, but, um, you know, my parents told me that my last name is uh, German, from Germany. So I always thought, wow, what if somebody from Bud Light, you know? <laughs> Wishful thinking, right? But today, today Peter tells us that, that there is a letter that is certified and is sure and talks about an inheritance that for sure we have. And that letter is the Bible. And God gave us this Bible. And there's no more certified, no more certain, no more sure document than this Bible. You can read any other document, human document, history, uh, contemporary, signed by all of the lawyers from Harvard or Yale or wherever you want. Or even by, you know, Adam Kuhl, right, in, in Chicago. You know, that he works for a company that only hires Harvard grads, you know. So let's say they signed that, you know. There's nothing more secure than the Bible. And Peter talks about an inheritance for all of us. And that's what we are going to read. So I invite you to read with me from this letter an amazing assurance of an insurance. And this is how Peter starts his uh, verse 3. He says, Praises be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this 
you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of great worth, greater worth than gold, which perishes even though is purified by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the result, the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now you see, if you think about Bob Soul, who just died this past week, he died at age of 50. Right now, for him, there is nothing more important than the salvation of his soul. Everything else he leaves behind unimportant. Nothing comp- everything compares in, uh, pales in comparison to the salvation of his soul. And that's why we prayed for him. That's why we testified to him. The grace and hope, we hope that he entered into glory in the last minute of his life. The end result of your faith is the salvation of your soul. There is no more precious thing like that. And you have to think in light of the inheritance. Let's say that you have that relative in Europe. How would that change your life, right? Well, if it's a huge amount, I would say just give to church 10%. That's about 2 million. You know, we can start about thinking what do we do with a new land, right? We just purchased. But you may say, hey, am, am I going to just quit tomorrow? Am I going to just take my family and just take a trip around the world for two years, never come back? What, what would you do, right? Would you start the ministry, maybe a church or whatever else? What would you do with those money? How would your life change in light of a certain in- inheritance, right? Just think about it. You might make sudden decisions, and your life will look different if you knew for sure that you had that inheritance. So Peter tells us that in light of our inheritance, something happens. And how do we do this? I I will say this. When we say, hold on to hope, we say, why? Why should we hold on to hope? Why? And Peter says three things in this text. First, he says, because you were born for heaven. Because you were born for heaven. Second, because you are prepared. Our life here is prepared for heaven. It's preparation for heaven. And finally, we are starting experiencing heaven right now, right here. It's not only then, it starts here. So let's look at the first thing. Peter says, born for heaven. We are born on earth from earthly parents. But Peter talks about another birth, new birth. And look what he says. Praise be to God. Who? Who is this God? He is the Father. He is a Father that gave us Jesus Christ. And in His mercy, He not only gave us Jesus Christ, who was born like one of us, but He also, in His great mercy, He has given us new birth. It's not only Jesus Christ. He was not Jesus Christ before He was born. He was the second Son, but when He was born on earth, Among us, he became Jesus. The same thing for us. When we start new life, when God gives us new birth, right? Gives us new birth. It is God's work. So the the new birth is what God does 
to us, we start a new life. It's a different kind of a life. It's a different dimension. We move from this earthly life, and suddenly we learn that we are not citizens of an earthly country, but we are citizens of heaven. And in heaven is our inheritance. So it's a process, maybe for some, like Peter. You know, you think, why is Peter saying that? Why will Peter talk about new birth? Have you ever talked? Uh, when did Peter experience new life, new birth? When was Peter experiencing what he is talking about? Did he experience when Christ stepped the first time into his boat, preached, and then said, throw the net on this side? And Peter said, I don't know who you are, but just because you talk nice and you preached, I'm going to throw my net on this side. And once they pull out a lot of fish, Peter says, oh, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinner, sinful man. Was it that moment that Peter experienced what we call the new birth, new life? Was Peter's conversion at that point? And just think about your conversion. When was your conversion? Maybe it was when Peter later on was asked, who do you think that I am? And among the, the disciples, he jumps in and says, you are the son of God, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And immediately Jesus says, oh, and you are Peter. And on this rock, on your testimony, I'm going to build my church and I give you the keys of the kingdom. So Peter has the keys of the kingdom from that moment. Just a few verses down the line, Jesus says, and now I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And Peter says, oh, God forbid. And look what Jesus says to him. To Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. So when was Peter's conversion? And when was yours? Or maybe it's later down the road, you think? Remember, Peter is looking at Jesus in the temple court from afar. And there is a lady that comes to him and says, you were with him. And three times Peter says, I don't know that man. I don't know that man. And then he goes outside and he weeps bitterly. He wept bitterly, the Bible tells us. He felt repentance because he betrayed his master. Or maybe it's the point where Jesus comes to Peter on the shore and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter three times says, yes, Lord, you know. You know everything. You know my heart. Or maybe it's the day of the Pentecost when Peter with the disciples received the Holy Spirit and he goes out and preaches and 3,000 people are added to the church. When was the moment that Peter experienced his conversion? You see, it's a process for Peter. And maybe you two are closer to Peter, especially for those of us, I think, who come from churches that practice infant baptism. It's way more likely that we feel an affinity with Peter and with his process, long process conversion. Because we didn't have one big moment, we have different mini decisions, right? You decided first to say the Jesus prayer, to pray at the table with your parents. You went to Sunday school and you learned something in there with little rocks and and in the pebbles and whatever, you learn about Christ's stories and you started to put your trust in him and slowly you moved and maybe when you were a teenager you made a professional faith in the church and you gave your testimony like the young adults did here. But also there is another way. is Paul. Remember, for Paul is an event. What happens to Paul is like 
on the road to Damascus, he was riding on a horse with people, soldiers going to arrest Christians. And suddenly, only Paul sees a big light. He's thrown down on the ground. And he asks, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. That's a life-changing event. It was like being struck by lightning for Peter, for Paul. It's a different conversion than Peter's conversion, you know. Paul experiences something sudden. And suddenly, from going to persecute the church, he turns and he becomes an apostle of the church. From going against God and his children, he proclaims God and loves his children. And he goes into the world to bring more children, more people into the kingdom of God. That's a 180 degree turn in in Paul's life. A sudden turn. And maybe you experience that. I am someplace in the middle. I grew up in the church, like most of you, I guess, and went to Sunday school and had these, uh, I would say, mini decisions for Christ. You know, Jesus come into my life, prayers type, and, and I love you, Christ, and I sang all of those songs and went in uh, camps and retreats and mission trips. But when I was 14, I gave my life to Christ more intentionally, and at 15, I was baptized. In the church. And I had to talk about my life before Christ, how I met Christ, and what Christ changed in my life, what he started to change in my life. And he's still changing from that moment, I will say. But that's, that's me. And maybe I'm not sure where you are, but just think about your experience. How did you step into this new life? Are you closer to Peter, which is more like a process, or are you closer to Paul, which is more like an event? Life changing event or maybe you are between right this is what christ tells us through peter he gave us new birth but new birth into something peter says into a living hope into a living hope once you are born in god's family there is something for you you have a living hope and into a, in, an, an inheritance. There is an inheritance that can never perish. Is imperishable. It doesn't matter if the market tanks. Right? It's not like your 401k, like your, any pension fund, any investments. It, it is not, nobody can take it away from you. Even if a higher power conquers your country, like they did in my country. And they took everything away from people. With this inheritance, look where it is. It cannot perish. It cannot be spoiled. It cannot fade. Because it is kept in heaven for us. It is not earthly. It's not here. You cannot grab it. You cannot touch it. You cannot destroy it. You cannot wipe it out. You cannot scratch it from your record. It is kept in heaven. So once you are born into this life with God, you have this inheritance. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. I like how Eugene Peterson puts this in the message. We've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for. From this life, we have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. What a powerful testimony. The future starts now. Do you have that future? Do you have that new birth, new life? Think about it. I will give you an opportunity later on to think more about that if you don't have it. And if you do, just Thank God for that. The second point is, so the first one is we are born for But also, 
we are prepared for heaven. In this life, we are prepared for the next. It's very short. Bob Saul lived 50 years. But it's still just a tiny bit. You cannot compare that to his life in eternity. None of us will die, basically. We all continue. Our souls are immortal. There's nothing that can happen to us to kill our souls. No, they will live forever. With these souls that we have now in our bodies, we are going to live forever. And when Christ returns, we're going to get new bodies. But this is a puzzling time. So I will live in, in, in a puzzling time. You see, we live in a generation that wants everything instant. Everything now, I would say that they want, we, we, we have raised a generation and we are part of a generation that we are like that song. Maybe you remember, I want it all, it says the song, and I want it now. I want it all and I want it now. We don't know anything about delay gratification. And that's our, our culture. And that's how I grew up too. But even the Bible, the problem is we take the Bible and instead of looking at God's word and reading our culture through it, we take the cultural lenses like glasses and we look at the Bible and we say, what is the culture telling us that the culture is saying that the Bible is true? Well, let me see. Is this really true? And we start to interpret the Bible, to read the Bible, and to say this is what God says based on what the cultural glasses allow us to say. We live in very confusing times. But like I said, there is nothing more secure than the Bible. It shouldn't be that way. Instead of us influencing the culture, transforming the culture, changing, being salt and light to a culture, we are allowing the culture to change us to transform us, to change our minds, our thought pattern. And Jesus said, no, make every thought a slave to Christ. Put everything that you think under submission to him and to his scripture. We live in a puzzling time, but we are all going to be tested. We are all one Sooner or later, we are going to be tested. It doesn't matter if we are old and young. It doesn't matter um, if we are rich or poor, educated or uneducated, if we live in Crystal Springs or any other place. It doesn't matter where we come from, if we are from the Netherlands or from Romania. It does not matter. At some point in time, we are all going to be tested. We are all going to be experience this test. Of our faith. This is what it, the text says. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trial. It, in all kinds of trials. I like again what Peter says later on. Because some say, well, it's just all kinds of trial means little trials, right? But it says, for a little while, which means just for a little while. Not for the entire eternity, for a little while. But look what in chapter 4 he says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at your trial. Because you will be testing. And whatever you taught through about God, about his love for you, is going to be tested. Whatever you may, may have told your kids, God loves them. In spite of difficulties, whatever you taught others maybe, he's going to test. You're going to be tested on. 
If you confess your faith in Christ, that faith, that trust in Him is going to be tested one way or another. And in fact, the Bible tells us that, in fact, if you want to live a godly life, we will all be persecuted. You cannot live a godly life without pressure, without persecution. And in the end, I think God wants us to prove to Him, to ourselves, and to the devil that we are not just talk, that we do not just say words, but we are also walk. So we are going to be tested. I like what uh, Eugene Peterson says again. He says, friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Don't think that he's slumbering, that he's slipping at the wheel and just Satan came and take control and now he's crashing everything. No, 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 don't think like that. God is still in control. He knows exactly what's happening. And in fact, sometimes pressure is good, you know. When you look at that egg, you know, there is no chance for the egg to survive. But I want to say that if you look at this, there is also a way that pressure is necessary. We have blood pressure, right? Blood pressure. That's necessary for us. It's a pressure. It's a level of pressure in our blood. And it has to be at a certain level to be functioning well. The same thing happens with our spiritual heart, with our inner core. God wants us to tell, tell us, even what your faith is, you're deep down in your core, in the core of your being, your soul, your faith, your trust, your deepest convictions, your deepest beliefs, your basic beliefs are going to be tested. They are going to be tested. There's going to be pressure placed on them. So Peter said, don't be surprised. Instead, be glad that you are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. You are in the very thick of what Christ experienced. Remember, we are going to have the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. For a piece of grape to be grape juice, like we are going to have this morning, it has to be crushed. It has to be broken. And that's what Isaiah says, in fact, Isaiah says, He was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. And by his wounds, his wounds in his body, we are healed. And also his spiritual wounds. By suffering for us, we are healed. And that's why there is hope in the Lord's Supper. If you think about the grain of wheat that gives us the bread, that grain of wheat had to be broken, had to be smashed, crushed to be able to the grain of wheat to make bread. And that's what Jesus says. If the grain of wheat falls into the ground and it doesn't die, if it's not crushed, it produces nothing. So we too are called to be crushed. Look what he says. We will be tested. But remember the heroes of our faith. Remember them. Remember Peter. In the end, history tells us that Peter died crucified. Paul died beheaded. The heroes of faith in Hebrew 11 Some of them were sawn into two. They died by sword, by flogging, by drowning. So God cannot fix everything in our lives. There are some things that no matter how hard we pray, He is not going to change. In fact, He says to us, no, live with that. Because my grace, because my grace is sufficient. In your weakness, my grace and my strength is more perfect. In your weakness, in our weakness, in our weakness. But God knows all of our trials. He knows 
all of our problems. He knows exactly what we are struggling now. He knows exactly how our relationship with our kids is, how our bills are coming, how is our job. He knows the pressure that we have. He knows exactly that we battle a relationship. Maybe we're thinking to quit, either a job or a business relationship or partnership. He knows exactly how poor we are on each score that he looks at us. He knows where we are. There's nothing unknown for him. He knows exactly the pressures that we have. And he's not going to change and and transform everything in our lives. But he tells us that even in the middle of all of these things, we can experience heaven now. Even when he knows who betrayed you, he knows who nailed you down, he knows who backstabbed you, he knows who abused you, who rejected, who left you, who abandoned you. He knows exactly what trials you have in the midst of all those things. He gives us something inexpressible. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And because we do that, we are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In the midst of all of those things, in the midst of that trial, maybe it's an illness that our kids have and there's nothing to to be done with it or maybe we deal with an illness he knows everything we face and yet in the midst of it under that heavy pressure he tells us I will give you inexpressible 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 you cannot even express joy and maybe the friends will look at us and say how can you bear that much pressure I will crush I will explode I will blow out how can you do that Because it says the peace of Christ surpasses all understanding. And that's where we are today. We have to hold on to the hope that he gives us. Because we are born not for this life, but for the next one. We are born again. We are prepared here for that life to trials, to temptations. And not only that, we are experiencing the joy of heaven. The joy of his presence. Even though we don't see him, we are experiencing now. And that's what we are going to experience at the table. He invites us to experience his fellowship this morning. Right here, heaven comes to us through the powerful spirit of his presence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, for the fact that in him we have our hopes secured, the future is secured for us, that you love us, that you care for us, and that you invite us to experience heaven, to experience your fellowship here at the table this morning. May we trust in you in the midst of trials. May we call upon your power, upon your support, and may we stand firm in our faith because we can experience your joy here on earth and we start to do that at the table. In Christ's name we we pray. Amen. Friends, hear these gracious words of promise spoken by our Lord. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Him who comes to me I will not cast out. 
Friends in the Lord Jesus Christ, let us lift up our hearts to the Lord. Let us lift them up to the God of our salvation. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
Take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Then he took the cup, and after he had given thanks, he said, Drink of it, all, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned, unclean. Singing
Take, drink, remember, and believe that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the full forgiveness of all our sins. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of blessing. Once again, we want to invite you following the service to, uh, if you'd like to pray with somebody, there will be some folks there in the uh, prayer room. They'd be happy to meet with you and to, uh, to pray with you after the service. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with us, and may we live in the hope of an amazing inheritance. Go into God's grace. Amen.